but we have to really gear the emotional side to be into the pursuit, not to what we're pursuing. Worry doesn't stop us, but it will help us to get up and it will get in our way of getting there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Next Level University, where we teach you how to level up in your life, your love, your health, and your wealth. No matter where you are now or where you've been, there is a next level. We bring you five episodes a week, four of which are solo episodes with Kevin and I, and one world-class guest to help you get there. This podcast is proudly sponsored by our friend and mentor, David Meltzer, of The Playbook Podcast. Oh, yeah. What a way to get started. Hello, boys. Kevin Palmieri and Alan Lazaros, my boys from the Next Level University. Thank you so much for joining me for a public coaching session. I will tell you, out of all the great celebrities, athletes, entertainers, millionaires, billionaires, entrepreneurs that I have on the podcast, that uh, I get the most comments about you two guys and how much people get and enjoy from you two. So I hope you're reaping some benefit from the exposure of doing these for me. So thank you. Dave, we very much are. We appreciate you. And we learn so much from you. Honestly, yeah. that's the thing. We get to ask custom questions to David Meltzer. It's the best. It's the best. People always oh. say, like, what have you guys learned from Dave? And it's like, I honestly, I don't have enough time to tell you. Like, there's so many levels. So I'm sure you want to just get right going into it. Yeah. Uh, we have our questions as always. So I've been working with a lot of early entrepreneurs, Dave. And the early entrepreneurs that I've attracted are emotionally driven women who want to succeed in business. And I have seen very quickly that at the beginning of their business, their confidence level determines their success level. What are some of the bottlenecks that you see when it comes to early entrepreneurs, especially emotionally driven people? You know, on the emotional side, the problem is they're attaching to an outcome. And I think if you can get them to first understand what it means to be driven and detach your emotions from an outcome, you'll stand a much better chance of having that receptiveness, that open-mindedness in order to have the confidence. Because with that detachment of your emotions comes clarity on what you're trying to do, weighted balance of the values that they have for the what of their personal experiential giving and receiving, and of course, focus and the ability to refocus. So um, bringing that on board, you can absolutely see how utilizing the emotions to attach to the pieces and parts that make you successful and detaching it from the interference, void shortages and obstacles that the emotional attachment can create. But it's a very difficult thing, especially for early entrepreneurs to understand that type of detachment because they immediately say, what do you mean I shouldn't have goals? No, no, no. You still should be fierce and ferocious in the pursuit of whatever op uh, opportunities and objectives you have but we have to really gear the emotional side to be into the pursuit, not to what we're pursuing. So if somebody is listening to this right now, how do they know whether or not they should be an entrepreneur? Like, I'm sure there's not a question you can ask yourself, but Alan and I have been realizing, like, I don't know if this is for everybody, just the intangibles of it. What's your take on that? Oh, I don't think everything and everyone is for anything and everything. And so obviously being an entrepreneur would fit into that same category that everyone has different quantum nature. Everyone has different potentials and there's certain skill sets that are necessary to be an entrepreneur. Number one, you have to be a masochist. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was like, check. Check. No, you know, not everybody has the, you know, this desire that they must be what they can be. Um, and I think it's okay to try it out and to find out what you're made of. And some people just enjoy, you know, a set routine, being told what to do, performing at a certain level with certain skill sets. Uh, other people, you know, I was on with Matt Higgins last night. Uh, on Clubhouse, and I learned something new about Matt that, you know, what really drives him as an entrepreneur and someone that, you know, graduated, uh, you know, GED from high school and went to a state college uh, is truly the autonomy, right? So one of his driving forces is autonomy, where if, you know, that's a perfect uh, skill set uh, or desire for someone that wants to be an entrepreneur, someone that loves to be autonomous uh, and be able to do what they want when they want to. Uh, and still yet, you know, we talk about that still they're, they're putting a lot into production. It's just producing what they want to produce. Um, so I don't think everyone is suited to be an entrepreneur. I think it's uh, would be for me very encouraging if people tried it out to see what skill sets they do have and what desires they have. How would they uh, and obviously it changes for each individual. Right. But let's say they try to be an entrepreneur. How do they know? when it's time to to decide maybe I'm not, I shouldn't be, I guess. No, that's a very good question. I get it, right? And so that's why taking inventory of your values is so important. If I can get people to take inventory of their values to find out their what and not be afraid to be a hypocrite, right? Learning and growing and saying, I didn't know what I didn't know yesterday. But if we make it a daily activity to say, what personally do I want? What experientially do I want? What giving do I want to do today? And what receiving am I looking for? And we start doing that daily. Well, we get a good grip on it's not a major decision to stop. It's an evolutionary decision of allowing something either to fall away or to fire it. But it's not an overnight emotional reaction. It's an evolutionary thing when we encourage people to take inventory of their values every day. And because this is the way the daily practices work. The inventory of the values give you your what, the ask and attract give you the who, and the student of the calendar gives you the why. And then doing it now allows you to stay present and prioritize things using Roosevelt's matrix of importance versus urgency. And if we look at the context of the what, the who, and the how, and stay present, now we can primarily focus in on what I think is the biggest practice of, for everyone, which is the practice of ending fear, because if we can practice ending fear, we're reducing the interferences, void shortages, obstacles that exist or we create for ourselves from already being connected to or allowing all the energy and activity that we put forth to give us what we're looking for. The what, the who, the how, stay present, practice ending fear clears the way for all of that intention and attention that we've given from the previous four practices. Dave. There's a question that I, I've been contemplating in my consciousness for a while. And I hear sometimes really, really successful people, they often get asked, what would you tell your younger self? And a lot of times what they tell them is, don't worry so much. It's all going to work out. But I, I, I can't help but, but think there's a correlation. I'll use Ellen DeGeneres. I love Ellen. Ellen's great. Okay, but I heard Ellen say this one thing that I, I'm not sure where it lands for me, but I don't think it lands where it does for her. 
She says, if I could go back, I would tell my younger self not to worry so much. It's all going to work out. But I can't help but correlate the fact that she was worried about it is part of what drove her to success. What is your perspective on that as someone who has, you know, achieved success and it wasn't what they ended up thinking it was? And, and, and having quite a bit of success that a lot of other people would want, I know that early in your journey, you worried quite a bit probably. Um, what would you tell your younger self and what's your per perspective on that whole thing? Because I've heard a lot of really successful people say that, but I don't think I fully understand it. Yeah, I think that the fear-based emotions like worrying, like the need uh, to be superior, separate or, or whatever it may be, or, or just fear, um, it, it has to be realized as a motivator, right? And so although, you know, I believe it can help us as a catalyst to motivate us when we're feeling down or we want to quit, the truth is it's a soul-sucking, energy-sucking thing that gets in our way or slows us down. It's not going to stop us from being successful worrying. But it's not going to allow us to be our greatest potential, our greatest self, and it's going to create more interference than we, we uh, than it does motivates us. So what I try to coach people in is, okay, if you're feeling worried or any of the secondary fearful emotions, ego-based consciousnesses that we have, why not let's try to substitute something else that gets us motivated so that we don't have to after we get up, after we get started, after we get back up or back started, have to uh, relegate what we're doing because of the interference of the soul-sucking, secondary, unconscious competency or competency of fear. So worry doesn't stop us, but it will help us to get up and it will get in our way of getting there. And so I think a lot of people haven't given it enough uh, true attention to understand where all of these fear-based emotions sit, because I hear even tons of tremendous athletes tell me fears, you know, fears, you know, what what gets me. I'm like, no, it does not. Fear gets you up, it gets you back up, it gets you started, and it gets you restarted, and you're fooling yourself thinking is that's what got you there. No, the problem with most human beings is they can't stay consistent. So worrying and fear and things like that will help keep us consistent but they actually deter us or slow us down from the actual inspiration, uh, you'll get a better result if you can substitute that fear that allows us to be motivated and have some sort of continuum that is healthy and, and purposeful to get us motivated and inspired. Do you, where do you believe those, those fear-based emotions do belong, if anywhere? Because we all have them, and I think some of us use them in different ways. And I, you really landed with me with the consistency piece because I don't know if humans are naturally consistent. I, I, I feel like consistency is what people struggle with most. And I think that the, the people who are afraid to not be successful leverage that emotion to be consistent. What would you recommend to someone who wants to do that from a higher consciousness? Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever been afraid to tell your friends or your family what you really wanted out of life, it's clear that you want to get to the next level, join our private Facebook group. In that private Facebook group, you're going to get around a growth-minded, like-minded community who all have goals and dreams. That way you won't feel alone, you can be vulnerable, you can be understood, and again, there's nothing more important than getting on a winning team. To join Next Level Nation, just click the link in the show notes. It's interesting because I think the idea of fear, primal and secondary fear, um, should be set forth into minutes and moments. So 
my my philosophy is that fear or ego-based consciousness is going to exist, but just allow it to exist in minutes and moments. So when you're looking at someone that can get up, get back up, get started, get back started, catalytically utilizing fear, we want to keep it into its box of minutes and moments, not allow it to go days, weeks, months, and years. And I have, in especially the need to be offended, the need to be right, uh, the need to be superior and inferior, guilty, resentful, uh, anxious, worried. I've gone years uh, in thinking that this is what's driving me, but it's really, I think, an illusion because if I can, as I have practiced, to contain it to minutes and moments, I'm actually utilizing what I am connected to, the greatest source of light, love, and lessons, the greatest source of power that I have with less deficiencies, less interference. So I think if you look at it in the constraints of, of time, to keep it to minutes and moments is the best way to utilize those ego-based consciousnesses that are based on fear. Wow, my goodness. Okay, so Alan and I have been learning a lot about ourselves and mm -hmm. our communication styles. I find that I'm far more like an Evan Carmichael. I want to give you tactics. And Alan is very much like a David Meltzer. He loves the deeper understanding. When you go into an interaction with somebody, what is your intention? Is your intention to give them what they want, to give them the answer they want, or to give them the answer that you think they need? So first of all, my intention is to learn. And this is something that... Uh, I've evolved to because I think I went into those types of communications thinking, you know, is my intention to tell them what I think they need to do or what they need or, and instead what I found is to develop an intuition by being more interested than interesting. So the primary objective when I'm interacting or conversing with someone, especially in a coaching situation is to be an intelligent follower, uh, to learn from the person and then to utilize my situational knowledge, experience, and intuition to effectuate what I think is most aligned with what I'm hearing. Not what I want, not what other people want, not what's missing, not what they don't want, but simply assist them in voting for what they want within the context of my own situational knowledge. So to hopefully save them the only tax that I can pay for everyone, which is the dummy tax. Uh, and I try to utilize it with a very open mind that please take the input uh, or constructive criticism that I'm giving you as a part and parcel to other information that you may want to gather to assess or collate with what I'm telling you. And when you're doing that, when you're speaking on intuition, are you talking about obviously your experiences, but when, when you're communicating at a different frequency and vibration, are you always running that through your brain of like, okay, this is where they're vibrating. I have to make sure that you're closer to that level so it doesn't go over their head or they don't understand it? I think it's a matter of channeling as well. So, um, you know, what I want to do is connect uh, as clear as I can to each of you, for example, and try my best to get on that frequency, to align with what you're saying, to be an intelligent follower, to be more interested than interesting, and then connect backwards to that source and use my intuition uh, to channel uh, some different perspectives or ideas or data that hopefully through mathematics or technology will be aligned with the frequency. Because if I'm looking at things in the matter of frequency, if I can utilize your frequency and connect back to the greatest source 
then I should be able to download more information at that frequency, which should then translate into what you could understand uh, at, at your frequency or, or your, your understanding. So from the most practical level possible, you talking to Kevin and I right now, how would your approach differ, if at all, if you were speaking to two 12-year-olds? Well, first of all, I have to drink like a half a gallon of Jägermeister just to put myself into the same <laughs> mindset of you two because um, I quit using drugs, so I can't utilize any of those. Um, <laughs> no, you know, it, it's really interesting because I would say that as an effective coach, as an effective communicator, uh, the thing that I struggle with most is transcoding uh, because I've expanded my capacity to understand highly complex information and in varying levels of spirituality. And I've strayed just personally in my own values away from, you know, a straight pragmatic approach to things and understanding systematically how to explain things. And I think especially over the last three years that we've been working together, I hopefully you guys have seen uh, a, a new capability of being able to transcode uh, some highly complex information into an eighth grade level of, of understanding. Um, and I, I actually created an after hours live on Mondays so that I can practice talking to children uh, and taking their questions so that I actually can practice this. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, that's why I coach you two, because I can't find, you know, many people that have that 12th, 12 year old frequency <laughs> that you two have. And uh, I have to break things down to such a level of simplicity in order to communicate with you. You're two of my favorite people for that very reason. I appreciate that, Dave. <laughs> very, very much. That's what you guys are calling the next level university, right? The sixth grade? Yeah, exactly. That's They're trying to get to the demographic. Yeah. Because middle, middle school university didn't really go over as well. So you just called it the next level from elementary school. <laughs> You're, Dave, you're the principal. You're this the principal of the school. This is hilarious. All right, so real talk now. Back on the rails. Okay. So I do believe sincerely, and, and I'm trying not to have uh, arrogance here, I do feel like that's a big challenge for me, Dave. Uh, genuinely. And and Kevin made a comment to me recently. He basically said, Alan, I think you're, you're, what you're doing is bringing people closer to their truth. And sometimes the contrast between where people perceive themselves versus where they really are. I don't know. I guess, how do you reconcile helping someone, even if it's the information you're willing to give them? So for example, I'll, I'll try to bring this down to earth. We have a lot of podcast clients who want to start podcasts. To be completely frank, they have no clue what it's really going to take to have a successful podcast. There's 1.3 million of them out there. And it's a lot of work. It's not like, hey, let me <laughs> let me podcast on the side and see how it goes. I mean, it can start there. But what, what's happening is what Kevin's tried to explain to me is that, Alan, if they understood what it's really going to require of them to, to succeed at the highest level in this industry, they might not even start. And what I'm guilty of, honestly, is, is showing them kind of the end game, overwhelming them, and then maybe maybe they're more reluctant. What, what can I do to be more effective at, at maybe supporting them where they are rather than giving them, you know, the, the truth, too much truth at once or whatever? Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is utilize someone's own psychology and ambition uh, to help align them with what it's going to take. And I know we got to make this the last question. And I do want to keep our appointment for next week as well, because I dig this so much. Uh, but I, I want to hit this because it reminds me of multi-level marketing. 
uh, you know, I work within the context and coach and advise in that industry, but I always start with the caveat as you should with podcasting. Look, this is a game for the 1% of the 1%. Uh, now, not to say you can't enjoy it part-time and, and, and learn things, but look, if you want to be a Rogan, uh, you know, a Milet, a Bilyeu, a Meltzer, th this is a serious game. And right. so manage my expectations of what you want to get out of your podcast. Do you want it to be a business uh, development tool? Do you want it to be an entertainment source for you, a recreational hobby? Do you, or do you want you know to sell it for $100 million to Sirius XM someday? You can help them with all of those. And I think the only thing you're missing, Alan, is is asking them, what do you expect out of this? You know, I think there's closer to 1.7 million podcasts right now out there, and 99% of them have less than 100 downloads for a reason. Uh, but that doesn't mean that 99% of the podcasts are worthless and experientially not valuable, and you guys can assist them in understanding how to build the conversation, the equipment, the distribution, the editing, all the things that are necessary. But I think the only thing is you're not asking up front what your expectations are. And if someone tells you they want to be a Rogan, then explain to them. Look, like I do in the MLM game, this is a game for 1% of the 1%. You're going to have, it's all about grit. You're going to have to be consistent and persistent in the pursuit of that potential. I can teach you and coach you through that, but it's not a short game. Don't be afraid of hard, but you definitely don't want to be afraid of long in order to get there. So I just want to manage your expectations up front and provide the value or exceed or quantifiably exceed the value in which you're asking for. Does that sound fair? Mm, powerful. I know we, we got to end on time here, but uh, I do ask that question up front. Does your podcast exist in 10 years? And I say, what level do you want to play at? Then I kind of come at them. With, and I think that's, that's fire. I really appreciate this, Dave. This has been genuinely many breakthroughs in this conversation for me. You can tell Kevin and I are very eager to ask you <laughs> questions because it's been a little while. Experience. Yeah, yeah, it was too long. That's why I squeezed you in, but I want to do next week as well, okay? Right Perfect. on, Dave. We appreciate you. Much love. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for joining us for another episode of Next Level University. One podcast episode can change your life forever. If you got value from this episode, please share it with someone you care about deeply. And we will talk to you on the next one.